You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Eurosimos. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Here for the Truth podcast. I'm Joel Rafidi. Got my co-host Eurosimos in the house as always. And today we have the return of Dr. Melissa Sell for diving deep into sexuality and biology from a German medicine perspective. Um, another just fascinating conversation, you know, which I think everyone really needs to become acquainted with. Um, before we dive into that conversation, I guess the main thing I want to highlight um, for anyone that's interested in diving deeper um, into our community and what we're building and getting education, support, etc. Um, our private membership community is called Friends of the Truth. You can learn more about it at friendsofthetruth.co. We've actually reduced the pricing of membership just recently as well. Um, so it's a really nice, easy, affordable way for you to to dive deeper um, and to really connect with an amazing like-minded community of truth seekers who are all on the path of pursuing the highest potential and just becoming more whole and more integrated um, while we all navigate this interesting experience together. Um if you guys get a chance, one way to really, really support our podcast um, is to just leave a review wherever you're listening. You can just rate, review, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else it might be. Um, that would really help us to get the message out there and to continue to grow this platform. Without any further ado, here is Melissa. Please enjoy this episode. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Here for the Truth podcast. Today, we have returning for the fourth time, the incredible Dr. Melissa Sell. She's actually responsible for two of our top 10 most downloaded episodes of all time. Um, a name pretty familiar to our regular listeners. One of, I guess, the leading experts in North America when it comes to German new medicine. Um, always a fascinating conversation. I think today we're diving into hormones and sexuality from a German new medicine perspective. Really excited for this chat. Melissa, how are you? I am great and really excited to kind of open up this additional. It's kind of like the, but wait, there's more when it comes to the five biological laws and German new medicine, Germanic healing knowledge. It's like, oh, it explains this too. And getting into that, I think it's going to blow some minds. We might make number three on the top 10 list. Awesome. Well, that's, like what we like to, that's what we like to do around here for sure. Um, so can you, I guess, yeah. Yeah, how do we begin with this? Like, can you talk about like hormones um, and um, yeah, and like how that impacts a person's identity, or just talk about hormones from a GNM standpoint first and foremost? Well, yeah, I mean, big picture. What is what is GNM about? What is the fifth biological law? It's the quintessence. Is that nature doesn't make mistakes. Nature does what makes sense. And so when we look at biology, we are a sexually dimorphic species. We have the male, we have the female, we have this beautiful coming together that creates more of the males and females. It's just this beautiful system. And so everything about the male, everything about the female, the formation of the brain, the architecture of the brain, it's specialized. Like the man's brain and the way that he functions is different than the way that the female functions. And it makes it so lovely and beautiful when you really recognize how, again, nature does what makes sense. It does what is necessary to keep life going on, to allow us to continue to procreate for generation after generation of, of uh, conception and birth and life 
and then death, and then we do it all again. And so when we're looking at male-female aspects, it's not about you know society's ideas about how men should be and how women should be. It's about what makes sense in nature. And I think that that's something we can all agree on. It's not religious. It's not religious concepts of men and women. It's not you know a theoretical or philosophical. It's simply biology. When we observe biology, biology is doing something that makes sense. You know, so a man is born a man. He's got the brain architecture of a man. He has masculine hormones. He perceives the world. So when we're looking at conflicts, and so even in the previous episodes where we've discussed conflicts, conflicts have different ways of being perceived. We can perceive a certain conflict, and this applies mostly to the conflicts of the uh, cerebral cortex. And so this is the uh, you know, the big part of the brain that makes us human. This is where territorial and sexual conflicts take place. And this is the most complicated part of understanding uh, GNM and the biological laws. And so I'm going to try to keep it as basic as possible, just so we can just start to wrap our minds around this. Um, so the man is a man he perceives as a man. The thing that's important to him is his territory. It is his space. And if a man has a territorial conflict, it changes his brain. Now, on the other hand, the woman, the most important thing to her, her domain is first her sexuality and her children. So this is like her inner territory. The man has the outer territory. The woman has her inner territory, her sexuality, her children. And so, you know, we are little boys, we're little girls, we're seeing the world through the lens of, you know, the man, he is aggressive. He um, he has to protect the territory, so he has to be aggressive. The woman is more passive. She's you know she's more reserved. It's just in her nature. Again, when we're thinking about this, not from the idea of societal constructs, just think about nature. What's required of a mother? What's required of a mother? Smaller hands, more attention to detail. The woman can hear more sounds and see more colors than the man. And so we've got all of these specialized things that make us really good at our role, our role, not in society, but in nature. Uh, and so the man, he has to be you know, strong and big and be able to protect the territory and be aggressive to you know, run off dangerous things so that the woman and the baby have that protected space in order to what? To survive. Without this, without this structure, we do not survive. Without men being men and women being women and babies coming into the world, the race ends, the species is done. And so that's why we have to get back. We have gotten so, so, so very far away from what's normal. Um, and normal is simply what's natural. It's not about societal standards. And that's where everyone's gotten screwed up in their brains about what's what. And this has to do with, you know, what we've done in schooling and, and you know, women competing with men and women wanting to, you know, be men. And now men wanting to be, it's gotten so confused. So that's why we have to go back to the basics of biology and the basics of nature. We have a man, we have a woman, we have, but within the man and the woman, we both have both sides of the brain. Uh, so Dr. Hammer discovered that the female side of the brain is the left brain. This is the left brain control center that controls uh, the, the female side and the right is the masculine. And this also gets into the handedness. So the way that you are wired is depending on when you, um, you know, your for first division, when you were first coming to be um, an embryo, that, that first cellular division determined whether you were right dominant or left dominant. 
And this, again, is something that makes sense in nature. To have this variety, this different wiring um, allows us to survive. Um, there's complicated ways of understanding exactly why that's so beneficial, but just understand that it is and that the right-handed and the left-handed people are wired slightly differently. And so their conflicts will affect them in a different way. So when a person is has a conflict shock that affects one of these territorial areas, it changes their hormonal status. And so if a man, if a boy, again, he's perceiving the world through the lens of a boy, he's perceiving things in, in the realm of territorial anger, territorial loss, uh, territorial fear, he's, he's thinking about his territory. If he has a conflict shock that goes unresolved, where his territory is lost, let's give the example of a right-handed man. He perceives his conflict as a man, and so his right side of his brain is impacted. And if this conflict goes unresolved, this guy's got a territorial loss. And we'll talk a little bit about the wolf pack and how, you know, Dr. Homer describes how the wolf pack helps us to understand the purpose, the meaning of these biological conflicts and why they proceed the way that they do. So a man who loses his territory. And so for that, for a boy, that could be losing uh, losing his mother. You know, So let's say the parents get a divorce and mom leaves. His mother is his first territory. So now he's got a territorial loss conflict. And so that loss changes his brain. So if he has an impact on that right side of his brain in a specific location, um, this will be the territorial loss region for him. It controls um, the, the coronary arteries. If there is a conflict in that area, his brain changes. And when his male brain is blocked, he becomes more feminine. His, you know, so his, he becomes less male because he's blocked on this side and he becomes more feminine. So in nature, what this does is, you know, think about the wolf pack. In order for a wolf pack to be successful, we have the alpha wolf. We have the strongest. We have the leader. You know, think about a corporation. We have the boss. We have the leader. And then we have all the people that work in the corporation. Um, that's how it tends to work best is having one person. So, for example, if a wolf pack had a bunch of alphas and a bunch of you know, bosses that was like, oh, I'm going to, you know, go get a, a goose from the field. I'm going to go get a duck from the pond. I'm going to go, you know, we're going all these different directions. Would the pack make it? No, it makes it when the alpha says we're going here and you guys are all my hunters and you're here to help me. You are the second wolf. I'm the alpha. So this structure, this hierarchy, it just makes sense. And so when a wolf, you know, an up and coming wolf is like, I'm going to be, I'm going to see if I can be the alpha. He goes and he challenges the alpha and either he succeeds um, and becomes the new alpha. I'm the strongest. I'm the biggest. I'm the best. I'm the one who's going to protect this territory. You know, and also the alpha, it, it, he just has the most responsibility. So it's not like he's, you know, it's a big job to be the alpha. And so he's got this big job of protecting the territory and, you know, guiding the pack. And so if that wolf doesn't succeed, let's say the alpha is the strongest and he bites down that other wolf, that wolf experiences a territorial loss conflict. And Dr. Hammer describes it as he becomes cerebrally castrated. He's kind of lost the uh, privilege of procreating because he's not the strongest. And so think about animals, think about nature, think about farmers. Does a farmer just let any male reproduce with the female? No, they, they select, they select for the best, you know, so we're wanting to produce a, a species 
capacities that get stronger over time. And that does require some, okay, the, you know, this is the alpha, the alpha has the, you know, the ability to reproduce. The second wolves don't have that ability. Their libidos are lowered because they have a lower testosterone. They become more feminized. Um, there is also this concept of them being gaily fixated on the alpha. So the one that bites you down, you're kind of obsessed with them. And so they'll listen to every word that the alpha says. And so this is where gay comes from. You know, it comes from a territorial loss conflict that a man experiences and he has lowered testosterone and he now has, is more feminine and he is, you know, maybe sexually interested in men, but not necessarily, you know, so it depends on the nature of the conflict. There are, everything is very specific to how it presents to that person. And there's a whole spectrum. So, you know, you can be a little gay, you can be a little, you know, more feminine and a little less masculine. And don't think about any of this in terms of good and bad. It's bad to have a conflict. It's bad to have a territorial loss. Again, it's just nature. It just makes sense. And it makes sense in the context of what happened to you growing up. And so if the, because as you're learning about this constellation stuff and about like the nature of kind of very personal things about you, it can get a little touchy. I mean, when I first read about some of this stuff, I was like, oh dear, <laughs> this is, you know, a little confronting, a little eye-opening. But if you can keep it in that realm of, I got to learn this, like this is how nature functions. This is how we've been, you know, we've been operating under these biological laws forever and will continue to operate under these biological laws. And so kind of just taking that open approach of, oh gosh, maybe I am a little masculine as a woman, or I'm a little feminine as a man. Don't take it as a bad thing, you know, because how you perceive that, you know, we don't want to be creating identity conflicts and self-devaluations when you're learning this information. And so like Steve, he says, it, call, he calls it uh, grabbing the idea by the handle and not the blade. You know, it's easy mm -hmm grab these ideas by the blade and, you know, feel attacked or feel bad about yourself as a result of learning this, but do your best to grab it by the handle, see how this is functional and useful for us to know as, you know, human beings in these bodies, having these experiences, raising children, not knowing this, we've made a lot of mistakes. And so we've got to, you know, kind of take all of this in and allow it to inform how we move forward as a society, as a species in order to survive. Because at this rate, you know, things aren't looking good for <laughs> the human species. We are on the decline. Truly um, healthy, fertile humans are an endangered species. So what would be the conflict that arises in women that would lead to homosexuality? So for a woman, her She's going to perceive life as a woman. She's going to perceive in the more passive feminine way. A couple of examples of this um, is the, as far as the feminine perception is a fear disgust conflict. So a girl like, oh, a spider, I'm so scared and disgusted by that. You know, the male version of the conflict is resistance. I'm going to resist it against this. Um, another example is the territorial fear for the man is I need to, you know, overcome this. For the woman, it's a scare fright. She wants to hide. So she has a passive, you know, hiding response uh, where the man will take the aggressor response. So for a woman, you know, she can have a, you know, a scare fright conflict that affects her female side. She can have a sexual conflict. So the sexual conflict is kind of the main one um, especially for women in modern modern times, this is the one that changes your when you have your period. So most girls in modern society 
have sexual conflicts because of, you know, hypersexuality, uh, just being promoted everywhere because of, you know, pornography, because of abuse, because of, um, you know, doctor's examinations, you name it. There's so many things that can shock a girl on a sexual level. And when that happens, it hits um, above the left ear in the female sexual territorial zone. And so when when she has that conflict that blocks her left side, she becomes more masculine. This again is for the right-hander. It's different for the left-hander, um, but just we'll, to keep it simple, we'll go with the right-handed example. The blocks the left female side of her brain and she becomes more masculine. A perfect example of this is, you know, a girl who, you know, has girly interests when she's little um, and something happens to her and next day she's a tomboy and she wants to get her hair cut and she's interested in cars and soccer and, you know, different things. Again, this isn't simply just a societal construct. She becomes more aggressive. She becomes, you know, more masculine and also manic. So that is another way to understand uh, the brain. This is this whole topic is the realm of schizophrenia and schizophrenic constellations is when we have this balance that, that swings back and forth. We can get triggered. We can have conflicts on both sides and step on a track and become really uh, depressed or become really manic, depending on which brain side is more emphasized. So for the girl, for the right-handed female, when she has a sexual conflict that blocks her female side, female side is blocked. So her male side is more prominent. So she becomes masculine and dynamic. And this is the woman that's prized in modern society. She's the go-getter. She's going to get stuff done. You know, she's the, she's the boss babe. She's the one who is, you know, taking control of her life and she's independent and she's making money. And so, you know, in our society, we're like, yeah, that, that is awesome. That's how a woman should be. She's taking her rightful place um, in society. But really what's happened is she's become blocked, um, cerebrally castrated because a girl who has her sexual area blocked um, can't become pregnant, you know, and think that makes sense in, in nature. So if, if a woman has a sexual shock, there's a lack of safety in her, you know, in her environment with regards to sex. So her sex turns off. So nature makes it so she can't procreate. Um, and so we also are augmenting this by doing things like taking um, birth control. You know, we're turning off one half of our sexuality because, you know, we think we've got more important big world things to do. And so we kind of try to pause nature. And so just realize that, you know, and people are aware of this now, how a woman who takes birth control is attracted to a different kind of man. And so, um, in the seminar lectures by Helmut Pilhar, who's a lecturer for Dr. Hammer, he describes the um, the the feminine man as the softy. So he's he's softer, and so the masculine woman is attracted to the soft, feminine, more feminine man. So he we all find ourselves with people who have mirrored constellations to our own. And real quickly, can I just jump in real quickly? Because you talked about the term constellation in our previous three episodes. We haven't discussed this. And I know Dr. Hammer, you know, after utilizing the five biological laws for more, let's say, physical things and symptoms, he applied them to more behavioral and psychological. And this is where the term constellation comes into play. So can you just talk about that a little bit? Totally. So it's a constellation is when we have we have a conflict in one region of the brain, and then we have another conflict in the opposite side of the brain. And so when we have a conflict shock, and I've learned some things recently about how the brain, the physiology of the brain changes during the conflict shock. So when we have a conflict shock, our tissues change over 
um, to lactic acid um, utilization. And so that's, you know, when you're long distance running, you're no longer using, you know, sugar for energy, you're using a fermentation process. So that's, that's what's happening in the brain. And that process requires 16 times more sugar, more energy in order to fuel it. And so if you've got one conflict on one side of your brain requiring, it's like sucking 16 times more energy. And then you have another conflict that comes along affecting the other side of the brain, uh, the brain can't afford that much energy expenditure. So it shifts itself into this constellation, into this higher sense. Um, and so it, it is an adaptation. It's a super sense, actually, because if you've been bombarded, boom, boom, so many conflicts, the brain's like, we got to do something different. We got to get out of this somehow. And so the brain shifts itself. And you'll, you'll see this in behavioral changes and manifestations of hyperaggression. Let's say you've had you know, um, a territorial anger conflict, and then you have another, and then you have an identity conflict. And so you've had, you've got these two anger-based conflicts, you become hyper-aggressive, like really violent. And so it's like, where does a person who's totally violent or homicidal, you know, come from? It comes from having a lot of bombardment of conflict and your biology gave you a super sense in order to help you to get out of it. And so we've got, you know, a, a nympho constellation. So a woman who's got, you know, a double sexual, sexual and a territorial loss conflict. We have a flying constellation. So if you've got a scare fright and a territorial fear, you've been double bombarded with scary, you know, territory frights, you literally will fly up above. And that is the flying constellation. This, you know, you depersonalize people, you know, will report being, you know, molested or having, you know, being raped, and they literally leave their body and they can see that is the psyche's way of protecting you of let, let me get out of my body for a moment. Let me look down at this situation and get another perspective. It's, it's a safety mechanism. It is a way of adapting to um, compounding biological conflicts. And so when a person has, you know, bipolar, schizophrenia, when they're unstable, when you're like, I don't know what to expect from this person, are they going to be totally bright and shiny and, you know, happy? Or are they going to be completely, you know, dark and depressed and not leave their room? It depends on which side is emphasized, which con conflict constellation. So like I said, there's different ways that they can be um, a lot. So if you have one conflict, then another, that's one con constellation. If you have a different um, sequence, you have a different constellation. So that's what the constellation is, is two conflicts active on opposite hemispheres of the brain that's changed your personality um, into this super sense um, that's in nature in response to what happened to you in your life. Yeah. It's so fascinating because Joel and I have been having this conversation is that like, like you just mentioned, your uh, personality is impacted by these biological conflicts. And then Joel and I are both into like human design and astrology and things like that. So it's like makes you wonder, like, are there certain, like are certain people based on, let's say information, um, astrological information, more prone to certain conflicts that again, impact their personality that's very often highlighted in these astrological profiles or human design profiles. So just, I'm just throwing that out there because it's really interesting to think about how, you know, there's so many factors that go into why a person is who they are and how they live. And um, it's fascinating to hear, obviously, this, this, this view. 
Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different connections. Recently, I've been, you know, exploring the whole, you know, the parents of the children and how the unresolved conflicts of the parents really kind of set the tone for what's going to happen with the child and the things that they're going to be predisposed to experiencing in their lifetime. Um, and that is has been really, really fascinating. And so I think that there's a lot you know, to this human experience. And ultimately, I think we're here to experience it all to, you know, to live in this society where, you know, there are some, you know, super billionaires that are trying to upload everybody into the cloud. And, you know, that kind of gets into the the topic of, you know, um, people who believe, you know, what's being sold that you can just be born in the wrong body. And, you know, you, you can just change your gender, and it's not a big deal and just be who you are. You know, it really is, that is such a rejection of nature. And that's really what all of that techno transhumanist, you know, medical industrial complex is about, you know, just artificial augmentation. Let's do fake life. Let's not, we don't like real life, real life and real biology. You know, that's just, that's too ancient. Let's go with the modern. Let's uh, control everything about human reproduction and make it so that, you know, we can switch into whatever we want rather than just honoring the the body that you were born into and honoring the the system and the hormones that you have and doing our best to create a society where we don't have as many conflicts because a con a conflicted constellated person is very confused and they're very manipulable and very controllable and they do and this is another thing so with constellations when you have these multiple conflicts affecting both sides of your brain there's a maturity stop you freeze and this is called a uh, puppy protection so if they're, you know, if you're an animal and you, um, you know, have a double constellation, you know, the, uh, the older animals aren't going to take you seriously. They're like, oh, that one, you know, he, he's got some issues. And so you get puppy protection from the pack if you kind of look. So someone who's got a baby face, uh, you know that they had a constellation early in life. They had an emotional maturity stop. Their emotional maturity did not progress beyond that. Their intellectual maturity can continue, but their emotional maturity won't. So when a person gets upset and they're not thinking, they just react emotionally, you can get a little glimpse into what age they may have become constellated and become stuck. Um, you know, an example, so something helpful for women is finding, you know, looking at when you had your first period. Your first period should happen at age 11. And so at age 11, that is the, the sexual maturity for females. And if your period came before or after, that indicates that you had a conflict. You know, so the, the typical example of this is the go again with the right-handed female who, you know, sometime between five and eight years old has a sexual conflict. You know, she sees her dad with an erection. She walks in on her parents having sex. She has an exam at the doctor. She gets caught playing doctor with friends. There's something of a sexual nature that's shocking to her. Her left side of her brain closes and she becomes more masculine. And so she's perceiving now through the masculine lens and then let's say she becomes, you know, 13, 12, 13, 14. And because she's a masculine girl, she likes more soft, feminine, you know, long hair, earrings, emotional kind of guys. And let's say that he breaks her heart and he's holding hands with someone else. That's going to cause her to have a, she's perceiving this as a man. So she's having a territorial loss. She had marked him. He's my guy. That's the one I want. And she sees him with someone else. Boom. She has a territorial loss within that day to two weeks later, she'll have her first period because what happens is she has become in a, she's gotten constellated, which has changed her brain again from that masculine dominance. Now she has a conflict on the masculine side and now her, her scales have shifted. 
And now she's going to, for the rest of her life, unless she finds a way to resolve these conflicts, typically these stick around because they're very difficult to resolve. You know, hearing your parents have, you know, seeing your parents have sex is like, well, how this could happen again? I don't know how to resolve this. Remember, a conflict is resolved when it can't happen again. If a conflict in theory could happen to you again and you're small and you don't have even any concept to find a way to resolve that conflict, we're typically going to have it for the rest of our life. And you're going to have a, a sexual track and then you're going to have a, um, a rejection track. So a track regarding people leaving you. And then you're, you, you're going to swing from side to side um, or you're going to find a balance because that is an interesting thing. When we have a constellation, they do kind of find their own harmony. It's changing the frequency of the brain, but eventually it can kind of, it can settle in. And there is this song by Dr. Hammer. I don't know if we've mentioned it before in the previous episodes. It's called Mind Student and Medchen. And it's this song that Dr. Hammer wrote for his wife. And later it was looked at and found to have this archaic melody. And the archaic melody um, is found all throughout old school classical music. And it helps to downgrade. He, you know, this song, it's recommended for people to play it in the background on low, especially if you're, you know, um, concerned about reactivating tracks, or you're trying to downgrade a constellation. You listen to the song and it has kind of magical properties, this ability to help to regulate and down um, downgrade uh, com conflicts, constellations, and reactivity to tracks. There's actually a great story about um, a mother who had two sons, one was 10, one was seven. And the seven-year-old was like, you know, I'm, I'm a girl. And, you know, was kind of going into that whole you know, I want to, I want to change my sex. I want to, you know, change who I am when, you know, as soon as I can, I want to have a different body. And the mother started playing the music um, and didn't do anything else to try to resolve the conflict because she didn't know what to do. And so just played the music and it helped that child to downgrade and get out of the constellation. And so um, this is great for parents with young kids playing the, the song. Um, it, it does have an ability to help to, I find because what it does is it goes through the, you know, the whole second biological law. So we've got the conflict and we've got the conflict activity. We have the resolution. We have the healing phase, the epicrisis, and then the second part of healing. And so we go through that again and again. It's like this finding of a resolution. And that's ultimately really what, you know, um, evolving beyond our conflicts is, is finding a resolution, finding a way to incorporate this thing that happened. And rather than resisting it, rather than using it as an anchor, we use it as a stepping stone to building, you know, our the next version of ourselves so we can evolve beyond even the most traumatic, horrific things that have happened that shouldn't have happened, that was wrong that it happened. But you as an individual get to choose what you do with it. And that's the thing, you know, trauma doesn't affect everyone in the same way. You know, there are some people that have transmuted and overcome just unbelievable things that you're just like, no one could overcome that. People have done it. And so knowing that that's possible for you to, you know, take what was done to you, what happened to you and, you know, and to find that resolution is a really beautiful thing, you know, but unfortunately with some of these conflicts and constellations, they're just so, you know, cemented in almost to our biology um, that we can, we can downgrade them, we can work within them, but there is a sense in which, you know, you may always have certain elements of your constellations, which again, isn't a bad thing. Think of it as a super sense. There's something great that's come to you as a result of having certain life experiences, having your brain um, changed in the ways that it has been changed. Yeah. Fascinating. Like even, you know, you mentioned before, how like even our parents' conflicts kind of set the blueprint, you know, for us, you know, it's just like a biological explanation of karma. 
ultimately, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned pornography before, and it's I just feel like it's it's so huge in our culture and 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 children are watching it earlier and earlier. And I know you highlighted it a little bit, but like, you know, what are potential things that can occur if like a six year old you know, I was on the computer and he's watching like hardcore porn. Like what, you know, obviously it might be different for a boy or a girl if that is, but like, let's say a six-year-old boy, like what, what impact could that have? I mean, it's all, I mean, he, how do you perceive that? Like a child confronted with sex before they're ready, which is before they have sex hormones. So it's before puberty, they, you know, kids should be blissfully ignorant of all of it. You know, they come across, you know, animals having sex and, and they they kind of put the pieces together. But when they're confronted, even I think from, you know, a, a religious setting where they're like, let me, te- ah, the, I'm the parent, I'm going to teach you. Forcing the conversation, the discussion of anything related to sex, let alone hardcore explicit things on a screen is confronting for a child and can create a sexual conflict. And so when we, you know, in nature, how do animals teach their offspring about sex? They don't. <laughs> they they trust that they'll figure it out. And so that's where we just have to be very mindful of how we introduce things to kids. Because I think many well-meaning parents are like, I'm going to just, you know, get in there right away and teach you about all the things. And the kids are like, I wasn't ready and or interested in any of that. But the parents feel really good about themselves because they're like, I'm going to teach you the right way, you know, whatever their moral system is for sex and whatever. But it can be confronting. It can be, you know, obviously a sexual conflict for a female, a man can, you know, a boy can experience a territorial fear, a territory. He can have any type of conflict from depending on how he perceives that explicit because um, they just don't know what to do with it. I remember even being a child and, and being confronted with the idea of homosexuality and feeling weird about it. I just I just felt there was this kind of deep discomfort um, with it. I also remember seeing a crossdresser and having like really just confused, uncomfortable feelings. And so, and that was, you know, back in the nineties when this was not as, you know, prolific as it is now, now it's everywhere and you can't, you know, and, and they are angling for it. And that's where we're, we're seeing, you know, this deliberate confronting of sex to children. It is an evil agenda. I mean, it absolutely is. And especially knowing what we know about biology and the brain and Hammer's discoveries, it makes so much sense that, you know, Hammer's discoveries have been suppressed and not talked about. Because if it was talked about, if people knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, not just an idea that, oh, yeah, it's bad for, you know, kids to, you know, have sexual exposure early on. No, it literally changes their brain. It causes constellations. It freezes them emotionally. It makes, because if a child sees something sexual, they get obsessed with it. They get obsessed with it. They, They see it again and again and again in their mind. It becomes a conflict with no resolution because they don't have an, a way to express it. They don't have a way to, to get it out of their system. And so it sticks in their brain and they replay it and replay it and replay it. And so they become, you know, sexually fixated. And then they develop all sorts of, you know, other issues because of, you know, they can't, how can they concentrate on school or playing when you have this image in your mind of something you know, of a sexual nature that you just like, you don't, again, you don't have any way of expressing, of processing, of understanding, of, of dissipating that image from your psyche. And that's why it's so damaging. And that's why even talking to kids about it is absolutely so wrong because they don't have any way to express it. So to talk to them about it, 
to introduce these ideas to them is to destroy their mind, their spirit, their body. It's to depersonalize, to dissociate them and to prime them. I watched this really interesting video um, by this woman, Jen- Jennifer um, uh, Bilek, and she is talking about this transhumanist agenda and how the transgender stuff is really the gateway into transhumanism and essentially kind of uploading everybody into a virtual world. But first you have to break your association to your sex, to your biology, to your body. And how do you do that? You do that by doing really confusing, shocking things to a young child. So they get so fixated on gender and sex. And so they're not learning about how the world works. They're not learning about nature and biology and math and all the things like innocent, lovely things that a child should be learning about. They're learning about puberty blockers and about changing their physical body so that they feel more, you know, themselves. And it is, I mean, when you go deep into this, it is so, it's so wrong and it's so messed up and it, and, and people really should be, you know, marching in the streets and doing things to, I was, um, I went to Vancouver for an event and a seminar and, um, the one of my friends there said that at the science world, science world, oh, let's take the kids to science world, that there's this little viewer that you can go and sit inside of, and that there's this whole thing about, you know, gender and, you know, uh, being confused about sex or something of a sexual nature that any kid can just walk up and sit down and watch this and have that put into their psyche something that could be very disturbing and confusing. And again, that they have no outlet for and probably, you know, won't talk about it. And it's the things that we don't talk about, the things that are suppressed and that you don't have a way of getting out of that isolation that stick in your psyche as a conflict and keep on going. And and who knows, just having that thing there, I was like, I mean, if the parents realize, and it is It was funny too, kind of being in Canada and being around like Canadians are so like sweet and loving and very, very nice people. My friend dropped her wallet while we were hiking and, you know, someone picked it up and, and returned it to the police. And the, you know, it it was just very, I'm like, you know, the whole idea of, you know, how Canada, you know, everybody went along with all of the crazy mandates, but like Canadians, I think specifically is because they're very nice. And that is the thing I think about the whole trans agenda is they're like, oh, well, we just have to be nice to these people who have these issues, you know, but it's been this slippery slope from, you know, like not abusing gay and lesbian people to, you know, totally accepting drag queen story hour and all of that. It's like, this has been the slippery slope of nice people just trying to be nice um, and, and understanding to other humans plight to, Um, allowing young children to be confronted with shocking things that's changing their brain, that's constellating them, that's making them emotionally and eventually physically dependent on the system for the rest of their lives. Because children who go through, I mean, my Twitter feed is filled with all kinds of crazy trans stuff about, you know, surgeries and the ongoing medications and just like what they're tied forever to the medical industrial complex. They can't ever get free. If, if a child is corrupted and shifted and, you know, gets into this, oh, I I need to change my body. That child is forever going to be dependent on the pharmaceutical companies and taking medication and having procedures and having surgeries forever. The woman who who, um, created that video was talking about how if you follow the numbers, if you follow the money of who is behind this agenda, it's billionaires. It's billionaires who are in the medical industry, in the tech industry, in the pharmaceutical industry, because without all of that, you don't have transgender. You can't change your body. You're born with the body that you're born with. 
And, you know, your hormones can change and your hormones naturally will. And that's the thing is a person who wants to be a man or wants to be a woman, just wait, you'll become it. Because a female, you know, she at 50, the uh, estrogen in her ovaries decreases and her brain changes and she becomes a man, masculine in her perception. She will perceive life through the lens of a man. And a man, when he's around 70 or 75, his testosterone, Testosterone um, in his testicles will decrease, and he will be the 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 grand the soft grandpa. He will become the feminine grandpa, and we've got the masculine granny. And that is that's the normal way. We have a season where we are you know virile in our sex and we reproduce, and then eventually the you know things change a little bit, and we have a different perception and we perceive the world differently. So everyone's going to go through it at some point in your, in your life, if you make it that long. And so to change it now, to change it now, when you actually have the opportunity to procreate and reproduce, it's making it so procreation is going to be a subscription service, you know, because if you've become sterilized because you want to be a different gender and all of a sudden you want to have a child, you're going to have to take a bunch of hormones or have a womb implanted or some crazy, ridiculous, technologically based, you know, advancement of, of biology, of melding humans with this digital world. And it's crazy town. So, I mean, and that's why everything about, you know, German new medicine and the five biological laws, it's about nature. It's about like, hey, we don't need any of that. We don't need that. Nature provides literally everything we need when we're in harmony with it, when we're doing what makes sense, we can thrive. But, you know, humans like to get adventurous and do weird things and try to override nature. And that's, you know, this just this agenda to let's let's subvert everything about nature. Let's subvert sex itself. Let's dissolve sex. Let's make sex not even a thing. And that is very corrupt at, at the core because it's an inversion of nature. And nature is truth. And so anything that subverts nature is a lie. And so when we believe the lie and we live in the lie, we're not going to thrive. And that's, we're seeing that, you know, you can't thrive as a person who's trying to change their gender. Because mm-hmm. again, forever dependent on chemicals and pharmaceuticals and technology. You couldn't just, we couldn't just put you out in nature and you wouldn't just survive out there yeah. without that, that, all that stuff. Hope you guys are enjoying this episode. Just a quick interlude to shout out some amazing members of our community. Shout out to Kim, Maria, Tyler, Keely, Alex. Uh, thank you so much for being part of the community. And for those who want to join and hang out with us and have some laughs and get some education and support and have a lot of fun doing so, check out Friends of the Truth at friendsofthetruth.co. Back to the episode. We were dealing with a social contagion, you know, and we, I think we chatted about this before we, we pressed record, but, you know, we, humans are going to have conflicts. Children are going to have conflicts. So, you know, a girl who's going through specific conflicts, you know, be, becomes a tomboy. It might be a little bit more masculine, but when you're confronted with all this media and promotion and that you could just take these pills and you can just, you know, cut off organs and do whatever, the, and, and then you can become the thing. Like, it's just, it starts growing exponentially and we're seeing that. So there's, a, again, there's a combination of factors that are impacting this. Um, but again, so anti-nature and it's really impacting uh, children in such a horrible way. Yeah. yeah, they've they've done, there was a study, I think, of, you know, the correlation between kids who are, you know, trans and then also autistic. So autism is a constellation of uh, of a scare fright, 
um, and a territorial anger. So they've got a double, they've got conflicts affecting both sides of their brain. So they're already in a form of imbalance. And then they have, they have, you know, another conflict and we can keep stacking on these constellations. We can have multiple constellations at the same time. And so this is just a profoundly traumatized, profoundly traumatized child. And to give them a physical solution is absolutely crazy rather than to give them, you know, to dig in and figure out what happened to this child. How were they broken? How were they scared? How were they unsupported? How were they abused? Something happened to that child. And when you try to give them a physical, external, flashy, new way of getting out of all of your problems, all you have to do is change your body parts and cut off your breasts and remove your, your, your woman organs um, when you aren't even old enough to vote. But this is the thing you need to do in order to feel okay in the world. The fact that anyone thinks that that is a solution just is, you know, shows us how far we have gone away from nature and how confused and how, yes, the social contagion has taken a hold of well-meaning parents who's like, I just want my child to be happy. I just want my child to be happy. And so, but without looking at, you know, where did I, uh, you know, put my child into daycare where something happened to them? Or put my child into, you know, a school where they were taught something because I'm so busy, you know, running the rat race and trying to, you know, make ends meet in order to, you know, and that's the thing is we're so far removed from what is natural and normal. You know, children even going to school is it can be a trauma, a territory loss. Putting your child in school truly can cause them to have a territorial loss conflict. And you put your little boy into school, he feels like he has lost his territory, lost his home, and all of a sudden. He is less masculine and more feminine. And it's like, oh, so this, and that's where, again, parents do not allow this to be a reason to feel bad of like, oh, I turned my child gay because I put him in daycare. Um, even though that is on a biological level, something that is happening and may have happened. But to, again, see this through the lens of what can I do now with this knowledge? How, how do I navigate in the world given the fact that this may have happened? Um, and it's not a bad thing. You know, it's not, you know, uh, being gay is not a bad thing. It's a natural thing in nature. And that, you know, people who have, you know, promoted um, or, you know, tried to provide support for homosexuals have, you know, pointed out certain things in nature that I think are confusing for people who, you know, are looking at it through a religious lens. But again, yeah. It all makes sense in nature. There's a reason for all of it, for the masculine woman, for the feminine man, for the whole spectrum. The whole spectrum exists. And it all has to do with the sequence of events that a, a particular individual went through in their experience and, you know, what they want to do about it now, you know, because it's not about what's right, what's wrong, how to fix people. We don't need to fix people, but we do need to acknowledge that this is the result of something shocking that happened to that individual that they were unprepared for and didn't have a resolution for. And that, you know, they would be happier, more well-balanced um, if they hadn't experienced those things. And that's just, again, it's not a, a moral thing. It's simply a nature thing. Um, when you are unconflicted, you know, that's the thing is very few people. I don't even know any, any alphas, you know, that would be a person with no territorial conflicts on either other side of their brain. Their, their territorial areas are free. And this is a person who can become a, a biologically mature person. So biological maturity goes up to 25. And so again, we can get constellated, we can get stuck at five, you can get stuck at 12, you can get stuck at any point along the way when you have these two constellations, your emotional maturity freezes at that. Think about people, think about, you know, you know, your friends, how old do you feel? 
how old do you feel? What music do you like? What clothes do you wear? What age does that resemble from your youth? A lot of people say, you know, I feel like I'm still 14. I don't feel like a grown up. I see a lot of memes and kind of funny, you know, cute things of people like, oh, you know, I, what am I doing? Adulting. I can't adult. I'm, I feel like a teenager. Well, it's because you probably are because you probably, you know, watched a scary movie or watched, you know, saw some, some porn or saw, saw something that froze you at that age that you feel. And so your intellectual maturity continued, your biological maturity stopped. And this is interesting when we think about college and we think about, again, what does society say? say society says, you know, don't reproduce now. It's embarrassing to be a teen mother. Don't get pregnant. You know, abort your baby. You have a life to live. You have things to do. You've got, you know, this, this career to build. Go to school, go to college, go to grad school. Just wait, just wait, just wait until you're, you know, 30. Wait until you're 35. Just put it off. But a window closes. So um, a woman who, let's say she uh, had a sexual conflict and then she had a territorial loss conflict. And so she's constellated at age 12. She had her period at age, age 12. So she's emotionally frozen at age 12. You know, 12 is enough to kind of, uh, you know, live an independent life. If it happened at five, you know, you can't live an independent life. You're going to kind of need help um, as you go throughout your life. But if you're 11, 12, you can, you can make it in the world. Um, so that girl, let's say she's, you know, she goes, you know, she goes to college, she's on birth control, you know, she is only, she's going to stay 12 unless she has the pregnancy before age 25. So for every pregnancy before age 25, uh, you can catch up, a woman can catch up on three years of maturity with one pregnancy which because the body goes through a very deep vagotonia and, you know, it's part of the system of helping that woman to become a biologically mature woman who can take care of a child. And so that is the way to, you know, to kind of get out of this constellated, emotionally frozen state is to have babies before you're 25. Um, but again, society doesn't set it up that way, makes it seem like actually there was this um, clip of a woman who was on American Idol. And it was, I think Katy Perry was one of the judges and this young woman, you know, and she was cute and really, you know, young looking. Um, and then she said, oh, I'm 25 and I've got three kids. And Katy Perry made some like really rude remark about, you know, her having her legs open or, you know, something. It was just very kind of demeaning and rude towards this young mother. Um, when, you know, Katy Perry, I think she had recently had a child, but she is an emotionally immature woman. She didn't have, she had children after the age of 25. Whereas this woman who's, you know, auditioning for American Idol is actually the, you know, the, the woman who is more emotionally mature. And obviously the emotionally immature woman is going to make, you know, derogatory comments to the emotionally mature woman, but it's just so an, you know, example of how culture is screwed up and how we do things is really screwed up. So that's a way to um, regain emotional maturity. So with a child, an interesting thing, like with constellations, often something that can be helpful. And there's uh, several testimonials of children who were, you know, diagnosed with autism or some other constellation and them getting a dog. So, so this, there are ways that we can kind of break out of our constellations, break out of our stuckness, you know, for the woman, it's a baby. It's having this new life to take care of. Um, sometimes for the child, it's having a pet, having a dog, someone that, you know, is your companion, you can tell everything to, can help you to break out of a constellation. And so there are always ways that we can, again, work with what we're working with. We have a certain personal history, certain things have happened to us, but there's ways that we can get more of what we want, create more of the lives and the experiences that we want to have.
you know, and if you're a woman who's past 25, who hasn't has children like myself, it's fine. You know, let it be okay that, you know, you may be emotionally uh, frozen at a certain age. You know, there are ways, I believe, with awareness to, you know, to model what would be the ideal, even if biologically you can't achieve it. But that's one of the things that I find really important is we have to be able to acknowledge biological ideals ideals in general without someone getting their feelings hurt and feeling like we have to abolish all ideals because I'm not the ideal, you know, and that's the arrogant narcissistic way of, you know, let's destroy all the whole idea of gender because I'm a little confused about my gender. Let's get rid of all gender. And it's like, no, we are going to acknowledge and revere the fact that biological gender is a reality of this physical world that we are living in. And there are ideal ways to go about living. Um, and then there are you know, things that happen that cause us to fall short of that ideal. Um, but that's okay too. That doesn't make you wrong or bad or less than. It is a variation. It's something, again, to learn through. But we have to be able to acknowledge biological standards and biological ideals. Um, because if we don't have that, we have nothing to compare it to. And it's all just whim. It's all just, oh, whatever I want it to be because this is how I feel. No, there are there are laws that this universe operates under and you will be happier when you um, learn those laws and abide by them and, and you can utilize them and understand them. It will lead to more thriving than trying to eradicate ideals, um, which you know has to do with you know, a lot of different subjects. Hmm. Wow. Um, one thing that came up for me before, like when we're talking... Um, I guess about the rise of transhumanism and transgenderism being linked to transhumanism. Like the what I'm noticing is like the world on our Twitter feeds isn't reality either, you know? And so like it can be a lot of pressure, particularly for parents, to like, you know, try and protect and, you know, prevent their children from ever seeing anything, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I just want to like highlight to those listening also, like, you know, there's some level of perfectionism, which is impossible. And as you mentioned, you might just end up conflicting yourself, trying to reach that and and and, and abide by that. Um, but also like it brings to mind like children getting phones too early is a big no-no in 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 my opinion. And then being self-led to exposing themselves to these sexual conflicts, potentially, et cetera, et cetera. And what I wanted to ask you was on the flip side of all of this, you know, sure, we have this age of hypersexuality going on where we're being confronted on so many levels and at much younger ages as well. But what are the potential conflicts from the hyper repressive religious dogmatic side of things where we're withdrawn for probably way too long? Yeah, I mean, same thing. So sexual, I know I was raised in a, in a religious um, environment and, and se sexuality was a huge just... Uh, conflicting topic in every way. And so it was, you know, uh, sexual conflict and uh, self-devaluation conflict as a result of, you know, so that's the thing is trying to repress, you know, when a child reaches sexual maturity there, it makes sense. And in nature, this is a thing in nature, you know, uh, 11 year olds would get pregnant. That would just be how nature is. Again, if we're not looking at, um, oh, you know, age of this and that. It's like, just look at nature. What would nature do? As soon as the female becomes sexually mature, the alpha will mate with her and she will be pregnant. Um, this is another interesting thing about hormones levels and pregnancy. So when a woman, a woman who's ovulating is female. So like 
when you're ovulating, you are in a female state. When you aren't ovulating, so post-menopause, um, you are in a masculine state. And so when a woman is actually pregnant, she becomes masculine in her way of perceiving because she's not ovulating because she's pregnant. And then also during the years of breastfeeding. So um, yeah, so repressing and having, you know, pushing down and making it bad and making it wrong isn't honoring biology. And that's something that, you know, there's another uh, meme and the memes, just what they are, you know, little pockets of how our culture is, you know, people talking about uh, parents who were very repressive about sex um, for years and years and years. And now they want grandkids. And it's like, you know, so, so here you were like condemning sex for all of these years. And now you're like, please have sex and, and give me some grandkids. And it's like, I'm kind of screwed up in my brain because I don't know how to interact with sexuality because I was so, you know, limited uh, with regard to like, literally, I was afraid of going to hell for touching my own body. <laughs> it's like, that is a pretty, um, pretty big sexual conflict. And it, yeah. and it, becomes, it can be a track. So like every time you have sexual pleasure, if and some level, if your earliest experience of that was condemnation of this is bad, this is wrong, I'm going to hell. I mean, that takes some time to unprogram and to, you know, uh, heal from that suppression. And so, yeah, the hyper too much, put it everywhere versus the close it off. And again, there's just a perfect natural way of of interacting with the subject of sex and sexuality. Um, and yeah, most people get it wrong because they are too far into their cult, into their camp, into their dogma, into their ideology to recognize that there, you know, there's got to be a better way. And yeah. getting into and that's where yeah. everything about the biological laws is so helpful because it's just biological. It just it gets rid of all of the ideologies that are man-made and we're just looking at nature itself. I want to I, I'm curious about this because you said something before that would be considered highly controversial, that if it was, if it was just left to nature, then 11, 12-year-old, you know, girls is their sexual maturity. So I could just see like a certain community, the minor attracted person's community, like using that as an argument for, you know, their stance. And so it's like there's a biological thing, but then there's also... I mean, ideology, I think, plays into things as well and cultural things play in, and and even just like the state of a, a child, uh, not a child, but like someone's psyche too. Like, are they even ready for something like that? You know? Yeah. Just yeah, because I, nature's ready, just psychologically, is an individual ready? No, I mean, I wouldn't say so. I would say definitely not. And that the, you know, the, the biological maturity that makes sense in the realm of animals and in nature that like as soon as a you know a female animal is sexually mature that you know that's different i think than humans and that's where we do have to be conscious and do again what makes sense does it make sense to promote you know children as soon as they are able to uh, physically re reproduce to do that no it doesn't make sense mm -hmm. and so that's where we have to we can't you know paint with too broad of strokes we have to be nuanced we have to be conscious we have to do uh like look at the context in which this is all occurring and and so, yes, I mean, if someone takes that little snippet and then turns it into something else, that is, you know, data manipulation. Like you're doing it, using it to twist it to whatever you want it to be. We're, again, looking at nature, we're paying attention to nature, and then we have to bridge that with the modern world. We have to bridge that with our current kind of structure and what makes sense and a, and a person like maturing beyond the age of 11, certainly before wanting to have a child, you know, and that we want to be able to... Uh, 
understand and acknowledge the biology and then understand and acknowledge what makes sense for for an individual human. You know, that doesn't make sense for most individual humans. That's never going to make sense, you know, in our in our current times. It's, it just isn't. But um, but we can't deny the fact that the physical reality makes itself known at at that age, at age 11. So, you know, that's something that we can't really argue with. Yeah, but like, so then coming from that angle, would you say that like nature doesn't hold all the answers? Like nature isn't a fit all for the current human condition? Hmm, that's a, that's an interesting question. Um, well, I think that because within nature, we have consciousness that has evolved, you know, so hmm. consciousness, I believe, is is expressing itself through all of nature. Every iteration of nature is consciousness um, embodied into physicality going through different stages of evolution. And so when we are experiencing, um, you know, a modern world where girls still, we have that ancient biology. You know, it's it's kind of the same thing that you might say with, oh, well, does a tumor make any sense to, to grow extra cells in the breast gland? Well, we don't need that anymore because we have emergency services and hydration. We've got ancient biology. And so we have to acknowledge that ancient biology. Yes, the ancient biology has a rhyme and a reason and a, and a reason that sexual maturity happened at age 11. And it has a reason for building extra breast gland cells um, when there is a nest worry conflict, extra lung tissue when there is a death fright conflict. So, you know, even though we don't need it, even though it doesn't seem necessary in our modern context, this is what we're working with. And so we have this ancient biology and then we have the, the consciousness and we have to bridge again, doing what makes sense. So yes, nature's perfect and it's doing the right thing and it makes sense and it does have the answers. But again, with when we're looking at it from a new perspective and a new context, we just have other things to take into consideration. Um, and so I think that nature is doing the right thing and it does, you know, it's not going to change it's ancient programming simply because it doesn't make sense for 11 year olds in our current society to procreate. Um, but at some point it did make sense at some point in our, you know, in our history, it made sense for it to be this way. And so uh, I think, again, we regard that. And then we use the knowledge of the biological laws to navigate in the world with the biological reality that we're working with. Yeah. So like physical, like philosophical ideals and values overlaid, like they, they do matter. Certainly. I mean, everyone's got their, you, there isn't a way to be, you know, to not have an idea about how things would be better to go. You know, it's like everyone's going to develop their own ideas of like, oh, this makes sense. This is better. This is most in alignment with nature. So I'm using it as my template. But beyond that, I, I want to build things, you know, and that's the, the beauty of, you know, so the whole technological advance, it's like, oh, is technology all bad? You know, do we look at Ted Kaczynski and be like, okay, yeah, let's destroy it all. Um, not totally against that, but <laughs> the uh, but it's like, is there a way to bridge it? Is there a way, is there a marriage between all of this where we can be conscious, we can utilize technology? You know, it's it's fun to have computers and lights. I mean, it is. And so to destroy all of that and to go completely back to the most basic and primitive life you know, life wants to keep living and it wants to explore, you know, my perspective is it's as we come for all the different experiences, we come to, you know, come up to the brink of this technological revolution of this merging of man and machine. Um, and for people to say, no, we don't want that. And it's, it's just the big drama of experience. And so it's all worthwhile, I think, ultimately, to have, you know, traumas and shocks and to, you know, to be confused in your biology, to have all of these experiences. I just think it's like the variety of, 
um, why we come here. It's for fun. It's for variety. It's for trying out different things. So um, yes. And when you're here, you're like, Ooh, I like it this way. This makes sense to me. And I think that you do need that set of values and ideals. And it's like, what am I going for here? What do I want to create in my life? And that you can do that in a way that makes sense um, in a way that doesn't harm other people (laughs) that doesn't, um, you know, inflict your ideas on other people. And then you have small communities where everybody operates in the same way. We're like, yeah, this is our code of ethics. This is how we want to do things. This is what makes sense to us. And having small communities that are like that, I think is the, you know, the way to to bring it all together so that we can enjoy technology, but not be ruled by it. We can honor biology and not suppress it, but also not, you know, exclusively only, I'm only, you know, I I live truly in nature, in the land, you know, I don't need anything technological. I like technological. I like all of it. Mm -hmm. So can we find a way to make it all work? Yeah, I get it. Trial and error. What works, what doesn't work. Spoken like someone with a three in their human design profile. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's, There's an underlying ongoing balancing act, you know, within this, within the universe, you know, there's always checks and balances. Humanity has this tendency to like go to extremes, you know, but that just gives rise to, you know, an equal and opposite effect on the other side. And I think we tend to to carry on. And there's always going to be the drama of the potential end of the world. Um, you know, that's just I think embedded in man's psyche also. Um one thing that came to mind early, early on in the discussion, you were talking about how homosexuality, you know, from a German new medicine perspective given rise from like you know being bitten down by the alpha or being subdued you know for a man but what about in like single parent homes if there was no father figure or there was no mother figure how does that play a role in one's potential conflicts as well well that's often a territorial loss to lose one parent is is almost you know is a, is a territorial loss which will cause um, an imbalance. And so it depends on the individual child. Um, but most children who, you know, have, you know, who have their, their native perception, if I had a parent and that parent is now gone, that seemed like my territory and now it's it's lost, that um, losing a parent in that way often can induce in a person a territorial loss conflict. But it's not, you know, it's not for sure because like everybody is individual in the way that they experience things. But um, on, on the whole, that's going to be perceived by the child again. If their mother leaves, that's my territory. My territory is lost. My father leaves, you know, but that child could see that as a self-devaluation, you know, may not have a territorial conflict related to it. So it doesn't affect their, this is actually very interesting on the topic of like circumcision. So circumcision Mm -hmm. could be a territorial loss conflict, but not necessarily. So a a child could have a circumcision and perceive it as a self-devaluation. So it's not guaranteed the way that someone is going to perceive. There's kind of general Typically, people perceive it in this way, but there are exceptions because everyone is an individual in how they see things. We just have, you know, we have the basic map for the territorial areas and for male-female perception, but there's a whole spectrum within that for how one unique person may respond to apparent loss or a circumcision or whatever. Yeah, it could be a separation conflict, too, for circumcision as well, you know? Totally. So fascinating. Hmm. Oh, you're SMS. In a decade or so, you'll start becoming a woman. In, in, in a decade? No, bro. 70s, bro. In, a 70, in my 70s. It's different for women. Because women, it's postmenopausal. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's just so fascinating. But what I love about these conversations, especially when we highlight nature, is that like so many people get so dogmatic and so black and white and they want to say that's good, that's bad, you know. 
Um, and again, like there's many colors to the rainbow, you know, and, and it's, it's like, there are variations. And I think like understanding the five biological laws and Dr. Hammer's work, like makes someone more compassionate, you know, cause they really understand there's a reason for things. And I think also it allows a person to love themselves in a deeper level, because I think we're all searching for answers, you know, why we are the way we are, why do we do the things that we do? And then we're all in this compare and contrast game because society, you know, projects something as like, this is how it's to be, or this is how it's not supposed to be. But then if we don't relate to that, then it just creates all this like inner thinking and inner turmoil and more conflicts. And I think like when we just have a foundation of knowledge like this, we can just kind of like put our arms around ourselves and hug ourselves. I'd like to think so and go, okay, well, that that makes sense. Doesn't mean it's going to maybe make it easier if you're dealing with certain things on a psychological level, but I think it it helps uh, an, a person. Yeah, I would think that it would it would make it easier because when you have an understandable explanation, that's like when I talk to people about their physical health stuff, it's when it feels like it's random or a punishment. Yeah. I don't know why it's happening or it's because I ate this food or got exposed. Now I just am dealing with this thing. When we look at the story and we look at what you went through prior to the development of that symptom and since that symptom has occurred, it's like, no, this makes perfect sense. It's like this, the symptom is not a punishment. You're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. This isn't a mistake. Um, all the things that you thought it meant to have this symptom, it doesn't mean that, you know? So for a person, let's say, um, like, a oh, an STD, like herpes, you know, they think, oh, this is shameful. It is a punishment because I, you know, had sexual contact with contact with someone and I'm feeling bad about it. And it's, and it's like, no, this is simply a separation conflict that you experience in the wake of that sexual contact. And that's why not everyone who sleeps with someone who has quote herpes gets it. It's because it all depends on your unique experience. And we can get out of the shame. We can get out of there's something deep, dark and bad and wrong with me and who I am. You know, and so again, if you are a male perceiving yourself as a woman or a woman perceiving yourself as a male, that makes sense biologically. And if we rewind the tape of your life experience and we look at what happened to you and the way in which it shocked you, and how intense it was, because that's, you know, when it gets to the point of, because there's, again, a whole spectrum, we can be a little bit um, less feminine, or a little bit less masculine, or we can be totally, we can get rid of all of our female or male perception, depending on the intensity of that conflict. If we rewind that tape, and you see, wow, it was, I was traumatized, I was shocked by this thing that happened to me, and no one has ever talked to me about it, no one's ever acknowledged this to me. And so now the confusion that you have in your own body, when you see that this isn't um, like you weren't born in the wrong body, nature didn't make a mistake. You're not being punished. It's simply a law of cause and effect. A cause happened. And the effect was you changed the way that you're perceiving yourself, your body and your world. And that, you know, uh, some people be like, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to change it. And it's like you, you know, being addicted to a physical identity. And I think that's kind of a big thing too, is, you know, it's being so, identified with the physical rather than with the consciousness, with the, the understanding, the thing that keeps on going, you know, rather than the physical tissues that are going to change over time and eventually decay, like this physical body isn't going to be here forever, you know? And so when we're focused so much on the physical tissues and I need my physical tissues to look so different in order for me to feel okay, well, why don't we just go to the source, the where the okay feeling comes from? And the okay feeling comes from 
your consciousness. It's going to come from the awareness and how you're operating your mind. And so when you are so fixated on the external, on the physical, and that's all about materialism. And that's what, you know, you don't have transhumanism. You don't have all, you know, transgenders if without, you know, really being fixated on materialism rather than the source from whence material comes. And when you realize that material is physical consciousness, consciousness that's been materialized, we go directly to the consciousness rather than manipulating the, manipulating the material is such a crude thing to do. You know, and when you understand that it's all the sources in the psyche and the psyche is the soul and the soul is your consciousness. And that is the, you know, the mind of the universe. And when you can go to that, rather than dealing down, you know, way, way, way downstream, like the physical stuff is so downstream of where it all starts. We go to the source and that's where we can feel so much better and change our entire experience of what it is to be human, of, of thinking about the temporality of this physical experience and going to that bigger, bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah. But then the flip side, like if you're too focused on the physical and your materialism, but if you're focused on the other one as well, like, I mean, there needs to be a balance. Like, like, I don't think you're going to fix the scoliosis by just thinking about changing the scoliosis, you know, in my opinion, I think there's different things and there's, there's tools out there that can support a person to alter their, their, their physical structure, which then will also then support and, and, and enhance their consciousness as well. So I think there's different access points. I just want to highlight that because I think, um, you know, the material is important to a certain degree. Like there are people who won't like take care of themselves, won't eat healthy foods, won't go for a walk. They're like, well, I don't, I'm not a body. So then like, why do I need to worry about it? So anyways. <laughs> That's the thing is, yeah, when people take anything to extremes, it's like, but yeah. when you try to address the physical without acknowledging the consciousness, it's like, that is again, yeah. it's extreme. And so the consciousness and really integrating that into the physical is, is the beauty of all of it is like, we, you know, the, the thing that allows us to express individualized consciousness is this physical world that operates under certain biological and physical universal laws. And so it's like we have to be, you know, the consciousness and operate the machinery of the physical world in a way that makes sense, given that consciousness is where it all came from. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that enough awareness and sensitivity and not, again, being at too far ends of the spectrum of extremism. Um, and notice if you have that tendency to to be extreme about it, to throw out like I'm not going to, you know, and people will do that with with GNM of, oh, I don't I don't need to eat healthy. I can just eat McDonald's all the time. It's like there's a spiritual component to eating. <laughs> Does it make sense to you to meet, eat McDonald's all the time, even if McDonald's doesn't cause cancer? Um, does it still make sense for you to eat it? And, and I, yeah, and I think that being, you know, sensitive to your extremist tendencies is a part of self-awareness. Yeah. Shelling, Shelling said nature is visible spirit and spirit is invisible nature. I think it's just a really nice way of summing up the relationship between the material and consciousness. You know, you need. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, can you, because I don't think we've touched upon this in previous episodes, but since we we're talking a lot about sexuality, you know, quote unquote STDs, you know, create so much fear in individuals, especially around like the act of sexuality. But can you talk about like symptoms that are um, considered uh, transmissible, like from what they are from a, a GNM standpoint? Yeah, most of them. So really, it depends on, you know, how is it expressing? What's the actual symptom? You know, a lot of them are skin, kind of like external skin symptoms, like, you know, herpes, other, you know, genital warts, things like that. 
Um, it's a separation conflict. So it has to do with the ectodermal tissue. There's loss of tissue during the active conflict. So when you are wanting to separate or wanting contact, we're losing tissue to, then during the healing phase. So once the, you know, once you regain contact with someone or you successfully separate from them, that tissue restores, and then you'll have like a wart or a, um, a wart if it's gone on and on, or you'll have like a, a sore in that area, it's because the body is in healing. And then if it keeps coming back, it indicates that there's tracks, there's reminders of that time that there was a sexual separation. So often, you know, and a person thinks they have this horrible, embarrassing problem. And what it actually is, is it simply, you had an experience of wanting to separate, you know, maybe regretting a sexual contact. Maybe you hear after the fact, ooh, you shouldn't have slept with so-and-so. They've been with so-and-so. And then you're afraid that you've caught something. So again, even the fear of contagion, this is the same thing we saw with the scamdemic. When you're afraid of other people and breathing the same air, you can have a territory fear conflict that affects your bronchial mucosa that causes you to have a cough after you come into contact with someone because you were afraid in your territory. Same thing. If I have a fear of sexual contact with, I mean, people, you can be afraid of a toilet seat and think that like, oh, there's germs all over the toilet seat and, and have um, I remember talking to some Christian girls who were afraid that they had, you know, uh, genital herpes. They had, they caught something and they're like, I've never had sex. I'm a virgin. I've never, you know, because that, that was a really important thing to them. But they're like, I sat on a toilet seat and I think I got, you know, a germ. And so even fear of sitting on a toilet seat, fear of contacting something, wanting to separate from, from someone or wanting contact. So the things that we think are, you know, sexually transmitted little germs that jump from one body to another so much more is happening than the physical contact between two physical bodies. You know, again, how did you feel about it? What was your experience? What had, you know, how do you feel about uh, having sex? You know, so sometimes people will regret. Again, often I find, especially like with herpes, it comes up when someone's cheated. And it's like, oh, you cheated on me with someone else. And then you brought this herpes back to our bed. When that person was cheating, they probably were having some type of sexual separation conflict, either from their partner, knowing that they, you know, were doing something that was a betrayal to someone they were committed to, or, you know, they really wanted this contact with this other person. And so whatever they manifested, the, the physical external symptoms, you know, the, when we look at it from the materialistic perspective, oh, here, this is us together. You go off over here, you catch a bug, you bring it back home. We are not really acknowledging at all the emotional component. We're not acknowledging the experiential component of, you know, what was going on with that person that caused them to go here, that how they felt after the fact. And that being, again, the, the consciousness, the psyche drives the physical adaptation. The physical adaptation does not drive what happens. It is, this is downstream. We have to look upstream. Well said. Thank you for elaborating on that. Because I think it's such a it's just such an important subject. And I think we we can all agree we've all, you know, grown up with so much fear around um engaging in sexual activity from health class and from all programming on the mainstream media and movies. And um yeah, just it's, it's super important. Yeah. And 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 again, okay, let's not take it too extreme. Some people yeah. will Oh, so now we can just sleep around and unprotected with, you know, sensitivity, aware. Yeah. Nuance, doing, discernment. Nuance, discernment, doing what makes sense. You know, that's the thing is you can take any little snippet of uh, GHK and turn it into, oh, so you're saying I can just this and this is how that. No, 
Like pay attention, use your brain. Don't don't go to ridiculous extremes. Listen to it, integrate it, and and proceed within your belief system. Because sometimes, and this is like a big, this is like just a big GNM topic in general, is you know coming across this information when you're already you know two years into a diagnosis. And like you know, that's the thing is this: you're not thinking your problems away. This isn't about oh, okay, so GNM says it's this, so I can, you know, you have been steeped for 50 years in one whole belief system and ideology, and here this is coming in, you know, after you've already gone through some type of shock, some type of trauma, some type of treatment, um, you know, and so the idea, it, it, it's so nuanced. It really is like integrated into your whole belief system. So a person who gets diagnosed with something and, and then comes across GNM and then is trying to apply it, um, Helmut says it's like, you know, teaching a drowning person how to swim, you know, and so there are, you know, we, that's why we want to raise a whole generation with this biological knowledge. You know, for some of us, it is, you know, in a sense, you know, I do believe that anything is possible, but for a lot of times it's, it's like kind of too little too late to try to learn and apply and, you know, because you're, you're in this like rush in this race to survive in, in some cases you know, to apply all of this knowledge. And it's like, it's okay. It's okay if you can't fully grok this in your lifetime. It's okay that you're still kind of like split between all the stuff that you've learned growing up. Well, I learned STDs were this and I learned cancer was this. And, you know, this kind of makes sense to me. And it's like, just honor where you are and honor what's available to you. And it makes sense. And maybe in your next lifetime, and, you know, if you have the opportunity to learn this as much as possible and to, you know, make peace and integrate the unresolved conflicts from your life during this lifetime, I think that that's extremely valuable. But, you know, we don't have to put pressure. We don't have to make it like, oh, this is the good and the right and anything else is the bad and the wrong. You know, we don't want to play the games of extremes. Everybody's doing what makes sense you know, to them, given their whole context and belief system. It's just, we want to move towards what makes more sense and brings more freedom and is more in alignment with the biological and natural laws simply because it's what works better. That's the thing. Um, I watched some video where the man, um, I think it was, uh, he was just talking about male, female dynamics and feminism. And it's like, if it worked, if people were happier with men or with, uh, you know, women, being the breadwinners and being, you know, and, and men not being dominant. If, if that worked and people were happier than ever before and healthier than ever before, all right, let's do it. But the thing is, is it just doesn't. What nature does makes more sense because nature does what works. I mean, nature has been perfecting herself, you know, trial and error for forever to develop into the system that currently that we are living in. And so, why don't we learn from nature, do our best to, you know, not override it, work with it, utilize um, that those both halves, the, you know, because in a sense too, even the technological mind is a product of what? Of nature. <laughs> nature has produced um, organisms who now can think and imagine and invent and create and bring together certain elements and make factories and make pharmaceuticals. So are pharmaceuticals really unnatural? I mean, they they come from a natural human mind who put other natural things together. And now we have a synthetic something, but is that not in some way also natural? Because it came from, from nature. And so that's where, again, we have to see the bigger picture, the contrast, the on, the off, the black, the white, it all has to be here in order for, you know, humanity to even exist in this way. And I just think it's it's the game. It's the, the game that we're playing. And you're just trying to navigate it and play in a way that's most fun for you. 
Um, and so we don't want to moralize and make anything good and bad, right and wrong. Just like, let's see what, what's most fun for me in this lifetime. What makes the most sense for me? What brings me the most joy, the most peace, um, the most excitement, the fun, the spice that I'm looking for. Um, and so for some people that is, let me live a total techie life. Let me go into, you know, tech, let me merge myself with te technology, um, if that's what you want to do. That's fine. I mean, you're going to roll the dice and play it again, play the game again once it's over. In my uh, worldview, it's like it just keep we just keep coming back and keep trying different um, ways of being, different ways of living, different ways of experiencing. And that's another reason I think that the you know if you knew that you were going to live like multiple you know like endless numbers of lifetimes and come back in all the different roles um, and play all the different roles as a concept. Um, that Neville Goddard talks about is like, at some point you play all the roles. You are the tech billionaire who is leading the, the transhumanist agenda. You are Bill Gates. You are, you're going to play all of the roles at some point um, in your experience. And so that really just helps to soften the extremism, you know, because if I hate you, it's like, it's right for me in my current physical reality to dislike the transhumanist, you know, agenda who's pushing this anti-nature, you know, it's right for me to oppose them. But on a bigger scale, I can't oppose them. It's like, I am you. Like, it's all, it's all the same thing, in my opinion. I can't believe you called nature a her. Your asmos is literally shaking right now. I'm shaking. I'm so triggered right now. It's okay. We'll let it slide. <laughs> you can be invited back for a fifth time. <laughs> Um, wow. Do we have any, I mean, I don't know, we're getting close to the end, but this has been such a great conversation. You've been dropping so much knowledge as you always do. Um, uh, our audience obviously loves everything you have to share. And you know, this, this stuff is just next level knowledge. I mean, when I first heard about this from you, I was just telling everyone I knew like, yo, you got to check this out. You got to check this out. We actually told a previous guest of ours, um, who's done some amazing work in different fields. Um, mm -hmm about about GNM and he had never heard of it but then he like just shortly after was had like friends over for dinner and someone brought it up so he's like oh well you brought it up and then this person brought it up so I'm going to do a deep dive exploration so it's just really cool that more and more people are are hearing about it and learning about it and want to take more self-ownership over their lives and their health you know and we've said this before but like GNM and the five biological laws like it's for people who want to take radical self-responsibility and so if you're living in like a deep deep victimhood state um, you know, it's, it's going to be more challenging, I think, to like take in this information and understand it. And, um, but if you really want to go, Hey, listen, my psyche, my thoughts, my feelings impact me and my body's always adapting to the things that are going on in my mind. Like, you know, like, what can I do about that? How can I shift? How can I change? You know, how can I, you know, heal by shifting what I think about? And, and, uh, it's just so, so important. Yeah. Yeah. It's and I love it. So many people are getting turned on to it. And that, that's that tends to be what happened is one person will tell you, and then you'll hear it from like three or four different places. And it's like, okay, you know, the universe is leading me towards this particular rabbit hole. And yeah, it's really cool when people get into it and and really, yeah, like how how can this help me to enjoy myself more into understanding myself more into navigating this physical body with this, you know, this whole set of tools that I didn't even know existed. Yeah. And I just want to commend you again, because, you know, you've been a voice um, sharing this information uh, to, you know, all around the world, but let's focus on English speaking countries. You know, this work originated in in Germany and Dr. Hammer, but, you know, to, to be going on all the podcasts and to be so open and willing to share this information, like I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of people 
are aware of the five biological laws um, because of, you know, you and your willingness and your openness to share. Like, yeah, there are other people out there practicing GNM and doing things clinically. And, and that's amazing. But then there are those who are out there preaching from the rooftops and saying, hey, listen, you need to learn about this stuff. You need to learn about the five biological laws. Check it out for yourself. This is fucking awesome. This is amazing. And so I just, you know, I want to thank you for that because, um, you know, it's it's a gift that you're giving to the world. Thank you. Well, I just feel very lucky and blessed that I ever even came across it because I very easily could not have, you know, at, it was when I think about just like literally one podcast and one lady, it wasn't even on the topic that just mentioned it. If I hadn't have heard that, I mean, my worldview, all of my, I would be in a completely different realm if it hadn't kind of come to me at the right time. And so I feel really lucky to have come across it. When I came across it, I was like, why did I Why did I go to chiropractic school? Why did I not learn all of this? Why hasn't this? And so that for me is why I share um, as much as I do because I feel offended that I haven't known this my whole hmm. life. And like I feel like very wronged by anybody who knows this that isn't shouting it from the rooftops. It's like, hey, what's going on? Because this is the most valuable information that exists on the planet, in my opinion. And if and if a person doesn't ever hear about it, they're just blissfully ignorant, um, you know, not blissfully in many cases, because we just don't know what we're doing and how we're, you know, for years, I think back to the seminars that I used to teach of like telling people, if you eat sugar, you're feeding cancer and you're causing all of these problems and it's so bad for you to eat this. And, you know, you got to stay away from this stuff and this is scary and that's going to cause cancer. And, and it's like, it was just, you know, and I was very genuine and I thought it was doing the right thing by sharing all of these scary facts with people about the food and the toxins they were exposed to. Um, little did I know that there's this whole realm of understanding biology that, you know, negates a lot of what I was teaching and makes it, you know, irrelevant in some cases, makes it wrong, makes it, you know, a little more, again, nuanced and taking a different approach. So I just feel really lucky to have come across it and I um, am just honored to share it. So thank you guys for uh, having me on for four times. I really, <laughs> Steve was jealous, but you know, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll get Steve on again in the future. We'll see. We'll, 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 see. we'll talk about it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we love it. I mean, we like we love having these conversations. It's it's so much fun. It's so cool. It's so fascinating. Like, I mean, yeah. when an individual has an aha moment, I mean, I love. I think back historically in my life, those aha moments for different things that happened. Like, they were crossroads. Like, they changed my life. And so, for you, just hearing GNM being like, "Oh, what's that all about?" And I've said this to you. Like, I've been in the health world for a long time, and I've been down so many rabbit holes. I had never once even heard about it until we were in the same Telegram thread, uh, Telegram group. And then, like, I was like, "What's this? What are you talking about?" Well, huh? So it's 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 great. And I think like the 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 time was 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 ripe, you know, from 2020, and with like this global fear of viruses for knowledge like this to to come forth and for it to take a hold in people's psyches to go, okay, wait a minute. Like, let me, I'm open to a different perspective. Something doesn't feel right. You know, intuitively people are like, this is off. This is weird. And so just from that starting place, there's like a crack, there's an openness for this new information that, you know, again, in my opinion is, is paradigm shifting and game changing to just take hold and to, to inspire a person to keep moving forward and, and being more self-responsible. Yeah. And I mean, you, you heard it once and you honored your intuition, you know, and led you down the path. Um, I just think back to our first conversation, like what a totally different reality that was when we recorded episode 23 in the height mm -hmm. 
of the pandemic, you know, and just how quickly things shift, you know, everything, external, internal, just wild. It's wild to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Next yeah, time. Awesome. Yeah. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, yeah, like so much has changed in, in you know, the couple of years that uh, we've had this podcast and everything that's happening in the world. And um, I know you're going to be part of a, a, a project from friends of ours that are creating, they're calling the end of COVID, which is, uh, I think, important for all these different conversations to, to happen that highlight a lot of the the BS from the last few years. So hopefully more and more people get exposed to G&M and, and anything else that's going to help them be like, yo, this shit was whack. Like, I can't believe I fell for it, you know, or like, I'm going to, I'm going to move forward in my life in a new way and, and live differently. So again, knowledge is power. Uh, applied knowledge is even more powerful. So for sure. I wanted to dive into, um, in more detail, the schizophrenic conflict and, um, you know, mental health disorders from a GNM perspective, like BPD, NPD, CPTSD, but maybe that's the next conversation we can have. I think it'll be really interesting. Um, yeah. Melissa, always, always a pleasure. Always good to see your face. Thank you so much for the knowledge that you share here on this platform. We are grateful. Our listeners are grateful. Um, where would you like to, I guess, direct our audience at this point in time in terms of getting more access to you or whatever it is that you're offering at the moment? Yeah, you can check out uh, my YouTube channel. So if you're, you know, fresh to this, if this is, you know, new to you, definitely check out the basics. My YouTube channel has a great uh, set of basics videos. Uh, dive into it further for yourself. There are links that I, um, on my website, drmelissasell.com of educational resources, because this is, it's a, just a huge, huge body of work and it does take time to really download it and, uh, you know, learn it and then also be able to see it like in your own experience um, so that you can start to navigate life with these tools. Um, and so you can find those resources on my website, on my blog, um, Instagram, um, and Telegram. Amazing. I mean, just there's, there's members of our community already that are now going down the path of becoming GNM practitioners because of these podcasts. You know, just the domino effect of so much that's being affected by these conversations is always awesome to witness. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time. Smoke and mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in the time, they think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms because they be too busy snoozing. I'm in a DeLorean. Fast forward an evolution to a place where we can share our confusions. Yeah, 450 BC, I'm sharing tea with confusion.